Hey, Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church Audio Podcast. Today on the podcast, we have audio from our Sunday service in downtown Covington on December 12th. Today's audio features part three of a series we've been in called Advent Conspiracy. The title of the message is Give More. And just a reminder that uh, coming up next, this coming Sunday, we're going to be taking an offering for Seeds of Hope, an organization working in Zambia and Africa that is trying to provide freshwater wells to people who don't have clean water, do AIDS testing, uh, microfinance. And we have made it our goal this Christmas season to raise enough money to get them a new facility where they can do water testing, HIV testing, and computer training to help lift people out of poverty. So that's kind of our Christmas present as a church that we're working on. So we're going to be taking that offering up this coming weekend. So if you want to be a part of that, you can either send in a check or join us that Sunday morning. Well, let's head to the talk. Don't forget to check us out on the web at northshorevineyard.org. Anybody in here ever been a lifeguard before? You got a question? You know, I put the wrong title on there. Yeah. It's on the outline. You know, I got to drop the ball somewhere. I can't do everything. Okay, you don't have to keep that title slide up there. You can just go to a blank one if you want. (laughs) Spend less, give more. Uh, um, Anybody else in here ever a lifeguard before? Oh, we got a few lifeguards in here. Okay. Yeah, I was a lifeguard in high school for about four years, and uh, I, I never, you know, I worked at a bunch of different community pools, the YMCA, and uh, I had very few times where I, I had to save drowning people, you know. Uh, what I did have a, a time, a, a few years after high school, I was actually 20, oh, you, that's why Miles gets paid the big bucks here. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to give you a raise. I'm going to give you double what you're making to do this. Because I feel generous this morning. Uh, (laughs) Don't need the clicker. Um, In all the years I was a lifeguard, I never really had anything hugely dramatic happen where I had to really rescue people, you know. And and being in a community swimming pool, you know, that's not too deep. It's not that hard to do. Uh, However, when I was probably about 23 years old, I went on a, a missions trip to, to Indonesia, Bali, the island in Indonesia, and to work with some uh, missionaries over there and do a youth camp. And on our day off, me and some, some of the guys, we decided to go swimming in the Indian Ocean. Actually, we decided to try surfing. And I realized very quickly that if you're going to learn how to surf, Bali is not the place to do it. <laughs> the waves were really big. It was not like uh, the bunny slopes of, of waves. And so, you know, we got out there and almost killed myself a few times. And then finally, after, you know, giving up on surfing, I came back to the beach and I was hanging out there with a friend of mine. And all of a sudden I looked up, I was like, Where, where's, where's my friend Chris? I hadn't seen him in a while. And I looked out on the horizon and I saw this little speck that looked kind of like Chris. And uh, I was like, oh, no, I, I got to go out there. I, I think he's in trouble. And so I swam all the way out there, and he was a good waves from shore. 
And when I finally got to him, he was, he was just, had lost just about all his energy. He was clinging to the back of a Japanese guy's surfboard, you know. <laughs> this this Jap, Japanese guy didn't know any English. He's like, what's this dude doing? <laughs> and uh, so I, I grabbed him and began swimming all the way back to the shore. And, and that was, that was a, the, one of the hardest swims I'd done because the waves were so big and, and trying not to, to hurt myself in the process. And I actually you know, got close to the shore and he passed out and luckily, fortunately, came to shortly thereafter and, and within an hour he was buying everybody ice cream because he was happy to be alive. Uh, but I say all this that when you're in an ocean environment, when you're surrounded by waves, when things look scary, the last thing you want to do is panic. But that's the first thing that comes naturally, isn't it? When you get into a situation where things are swirling all around you, you see the storm and, and, and things, you, you feel so helpless and out of control, the last thing you want to do is relax. But yeah, actually, the, the best thing you can do in those moments is to relax. I, I remember about three or four years ago, my, my son Ezra, well, it was probably about two years ago, he was learning how to swim, and we were at my dad's house up in Texas, and they live on a lake, and we're out there in the water, and finally he learned how to float on his back. And it was amazing because I, on one day we were out in the water, literally like not touching ground or anything for about an hour, and he was okay. A five-year-old boy can do this. But it took him relaxing, laying back, and breathing. You can do that out in the ocean too. Actually, when you're, when you're in the midst of a drowning situation, if you, if you can just do what seems so counterintuitive to your mind and, and, and let go of your anxiety and your fears and relax, you got a much better chance of surviving. Because when you're tensed up and contracting and all your muscles are going, you use all your energy up. You use your ability to sustain your life in just a few minutes. Actually, they say the most dangerous thing for a lifeguard is a, a, a panicked, drowning person. Because many times that person will take down the lifeguard and themselves, and you'll end up with two drowned people. I, I, I use this analogy because I, I, I think we're at a time in our world where it's very easy to panic right now. It's very easy to get overcome with anxiety and fear. I mean, we're two, in, two years into this, well, probably more than that, into this uh, economic downturn. They say we're coming out of the recession, but it sure doesn't feel like it, does it? The, the picture is still very bleak. Some people are even talking about a double dip recession or talking about joblessness staying at 10% in our country. There's, there's talk of, of entire economies, Ireland, Greece, California, collapsing. And it's easy in these moments. Our first instinct in these times is to all of a sudden lay a hold of everything that we own and, and just hoard it and to, to get, you know, just, we don't know what's going to happen, so we panic and we pull back on everything. But what I want to say is that even in this time of, of economic craziness, even when that may be our instinct, our initial gut instinct is to panic and, and get anxious and fearful, Really, as kingdom people, as followers of Jesus, we don't need to get caught up in that. We need to take a deep breath, receive the peace of God, and lay back <laughs> and rest 
and God. We need people that are people of peace, not of panic. People guided by vision and calling instead of being squeezed into the way the world's going right now. It's, it's, the, it's natural. Everybody's panicking. This is the end, some are saying. Instead of being squeezed into the pattern of fear or even, even just the pattern of consumerism and seeking our own comfort, we need to reorient ourselves around the kingdom of God. So I, I'm not a real big fan of the, the title of this message, Give More. This is kind of a, a, basically you do Advent Conspiracy, you've got four topics to talk on, but they don't give you any notes and you just got a title. And I, I'm, I'm thinking, I've heard this message at churches before. You just, need to, uh, you just need to squeeze a little bit more money out of that wallet. We're going to pass that offering basket around one more time and, and give you another chance. And, and I don't like that message because I've been guilted into giving. You ever been guilted into giving before? You ever just feel like, oh, I'm going to give out of, okay, I'll, I'll see if I can drop something in there. Well, I'm hoping that today we're going to find that giving isn't just about your money. Being generous, giving, it's transcendent. It includes your money, but it's, it's a much bigger thing. And I want to understand what it looks like from a, from a biblical perspective, from the kingdom of God and where this is going and how that plays into our life of faith. And I'm hoping that rather than walking away this morning feeling guilty and condemned, you, you'll actually feel empowered and you actually will get to participate in the life of the kingdom, even in this Christmas season. So what I want to start with is Genesis 12. This is kind of one of the fundamental, this is, this is where God really starts his whole rescue plan for humanity. And he starts it with a guy named Abraham. Actually, his name was Abram at that point. God changes it a little down the way. Genesis 12 verse 1 says, The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. No big deal. Leave everything you know and follow me to a place that you don't even know. And God says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, I got to say, in my years as a Christian, I have heard many a preacher pull this scripture out and try to make it about how God loves you so much, he wants to bless you. He wants to give you health and wealth and, and everything he has because he loves you. But that's not what God is saying to Abraham right here. I mean, sure, God loved Abraham, but God's blessing wasn't some evidence of God's love. It was actually part of God's plan, his rescue plan. He didn't say, Abraham, you're, just, you're such a moral guy. You're, you're so likable. Uh, I, I'm just going to bless you. I'm going to give you a bunch of stuff bless you with health and a family. And he says, I'm blessing you so that you can be a blessing. You get that? That's different. I mean, I tell you that in America, there's this thing called the prosperity gospel that is rampant in our country right now. And it's just, if you follow God, he's just going to give you everything you want as if that was the end. But we can see at the beginning of God's rescue plan, that was never the intention. God's not saying, I'm going to just bless you, Abraham, just, just to bless you. 
I'm blessing you so that you will be a blessing. And so God, out of Abraham's descendants, his sons, he, he makes a, a, a nation, Israel. And their whole calling is a people. You can see in the Old Testament, God says, I want you to be a, a nation of priests, that you would tell other nations what I'm like, that all the other nations of the world would know about God through what I'm doing through you. But ultimately, we see the fulfillment of what God said to Abraham. Paul, if you read, I didn't put the scripture down, but in Galatians, Paul says that Jesus is the seed of Abraham. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham, that I'm going to bless all nations of the earth through Jesus and, that, and through your seed. That seed's Jesus. So we see that this fulfillment, this pattern continued in the New Testament. And what we see in the New Testament is we see that even the early Christians, those who followed Jesus, we see this pattern of being blessed so you can be a blessing. We see that through the disciples. We see it in the early church. We see it in Jesus himself. But yet, as Americans in the church, I think we've been blind to that. We thought that we were just the point ourselves. You know, a few years ago, I, a friend of mine who's a, an investment banker, he, he calls me up. He knows I like the band U2. And he said, hey, man, I'm going to be taking a trip up to New York, and U2's in concert up here, and would you like to go see him? I'm yeah, <laughs> sure. And so uh, he said, well, I, I got some tickets. Why don't you fly up, spend a few days in Manhattan? You know, I'm just crashing in his hotel room. I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. And, uh, and then we'll go see you too. So I hadn't spent much time in New York or seeing you too. I'd never seen him in concert. So I'm like, this is great. So what did I do? How did that affect my life in the time leading up to it? I began to anticipate that concert. I began to anticipate going to New York. And so I started refreshing my mind with all my favorite U2 songs and watching clips online. I started uh, packing my bags with all the things that one might need in New York. I started reading stuff about it. I started researching about it. I was preparing myself for what was coming. Why is forgiving people important? Why is loving people important? Why is, is seeking justice and peace? Why is that important? Well, I mean, it, it's important personally, but in light of what I read about Abraham, it's important because it reveals the kingdom of God. It, it, it show forth God's rescue plan, and it anticipates the coming kingdom in fullness. We're living in such a way, like, like me going to you too, we're, we're, we're moving towards something. We see the day dawning. We see the future coming into the present, a day where there will one day be justice and peace and love and good relationships with, between people and healing. And we live in that light as people who are proclaiming the kingdom, that there's a day coming where that's going to happen. And we also are packing our bags. We're reading. We're watching YouTube clips. We're, we're getting ready for that to come, for that to happen. And when the kingdom comes, when it breaks out either in our midst in this day or when we see it breaking out in the New Testament, what we see is the response is generosity. We see, I, I love... The, the second chapter of Acts, you can see the birth of the church. 
It's the first day. Like, it's the day that the church exploded on the scene. And it's a crazy day. There's all kinds of signs and wonders. The Holy Spirit comes and just craziness. And Peter gets up, filled by the Holy Spirit, and he preaches this message. And that day, 3,000 people become Christians. 3,000 people. There was no such thing as church before that day. And 3,000 people say, I'm in. And you know what Acts goes on to say about these people? It says, there was nobody among them that had any needs because they all took care of one another. Like nobody told them to do that. Peter didn't get up there and say, you know, you guys need to do this. No, that was their natural response. When God showed up, they just got generous. They started taking their hands off. My, what? These aren't my possessions. These are God's. I'll help anybody out. We see the early church feeding the widows in their midst. They actually, the first church program we can ever see was feeding widows. As I mentioned a few weeks back, if you were a widow in that day and age and you didn't have uh, any family, you were homeless. You had no prospects. You couldn't go get a job. And so the church starts moving to show forth the kingdom. But that was their response. It was generosity. It was opening up their hands. When the kingdom of God began breaking into their midst, the children of God began showing a resemblance of their Father in heaven. I love that. You know, people actually looked at them, could look at this ragtag group of people from all different nations and stuff, and, and, and they say, these people remind me of God. Actually, we see that the, the, the Jerusalem was the first megachurch. The estimates are within just a few months, the church in Jerusalem got to 25,000 people. I mean, we got a few churches in this country that are 25,000 people. But this was, this was a group of people in Jerusalem that were, were serving Jesus, loving one another. And it was interesting because they weren't characterized by a church building. They weren't characterized by all kinds of programs and all that stuff and Bible studies. They were characterized by love for one another. That was the identifier. They got their spiritual bearings set around God and his kingdom, and they began to see heaven breaking in all around, and they began to value the things that really mattered. They stopped holding on to things and just became generous with whatever they had. Now, the book of Acts, that's no doubt a compelling picture, but I, I have a feeling, I know that there's, there's many in here today, man, it's, you, you may be thinking, I'd, I'd love that picture of Acts. I'd love to be able to give stuff to people, but man, I'm just trying to get by. <laughs> I'm in debt. I, 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 I just don't even know if I have anything to give. Well, I want to expand our idea of giving a little bit. We've been in a, uh, an energy crisis in recent days, right? You hear all this talk about we're running out of fossil fuels, we've got to come up with alternatives. Uh, but that, that's not just on an international scale or national scale, it's also on a personal scale. Have you experienced your own personal energy crisis recently? Well, I know I have. Miles, why don't you show my picture here? I got this cool picture I came across this week, and I was like, this is me. Can you identify that? <laughs> It's like, that, that's brilliant. That, that says so much. A picture's worth a thousand words. Uh, all right, you can go back to the title slide. Um, we have an energy crisis. We're going and going and going and going and busy and, and doing all these things, but we're running 
out of energy. I'm not just talking about physical energy. We're running out of that, but we're running out of emotional energy. We're running out of relational energy. We just, uh, we're, we're just spent. And then there's, there's the time factor. That's another resource that we have. We have energy. We have time. But how, how many times do you find yourself saying, man, I just wish there was more hours in a day? Well, the newsflash, there's exactly as many hours in his day as God intended there to be. And then, of course, there's money. I got a little clip I want to show you about money here. Because unlike energy and time, we actually feel like we've figured out ways to get around running out of money. And it's called credit cards, right? <laughs> so check this out. Wise words from Steve Martin. Numbers to add up. It's like we're never gonna get out of this hole. Credit card debt, does it ever end? <laughs> Maybe I can help. We sure could use it. We've tried debt consolidation companies. We've even taken out loans to help make payments. Well, you're not the only ones. Did you know millions of Americans live with debt they cannot control? That's why I developed this unique new program for managing your debt. It's called Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. <laughs> you don't have any money, you should not buy anything. Hmm, sounds interesting. Sounds confusing. I don't know, honey. This makes a lot of sense. There's a whole section here on how to buy expensive things using money you save. Give me that. And where would you get this saved money? I tell you where and how in Chapter 3. Okay, but what if I want something but I don't have any money? You don't buy it. Well, let's say I don't have enough money to buy something. Should I buy it anyway? No. Now I'm really confused. It's a little confusing at first. Well, what if you have the money? Can you buy something? Yes. Now take the money away. Same story? Nope. You shouldn't buy stuff when you don't have the money. I think I got it. I buy something I want and then hope that I can pay for it, right? <laughs> no, you make sure you have money, then you buy it. Oh, then you buy it. But shouldn't you buy it before you have the money? No. Why not? It's in the book. It's only one page long. <laughs> the advice is priceless and the book is free. Wow, I like the sound of that. Yeah, we can put it on our credit card. <laughs> so get out of debt now. Write for your free copy of Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. And if you order now, you'll also receive Seriously. If you don't have the money, don't buy it. Along with a 12-month subscription to Stop Buying Stuff magazine. So order today. <laughs> of course, there's the money aspect. You know, a couple of, a couple of years ago, I, I ran across a, a horrible book. We actually carry it in our bookstore called uh, Emotionally Healthy Church. And this friend of mine uh, who worked on the South Shore, Susie, she gave it to me. And I don't know why she gave it to me. Um, but uh, <laughs> the book had this, this test of emotional health, emotional maturity. And it would rate you in six categories as either an infant, a child, an adolescent, or an adult. And I'm like, no problem. I'll take the test. And I took the test and... I was all cocky about it, and I, I started looking at the results, and um, there was one category where 
I mean, dude, it was bad. My score was, was awful. And it, oh, I'm not going to get into that. Although me and Ezra have a lot in common. Uh, <laughs> now I understand why I get along with him so well. Until he takes my toys. No. <laughs> The, the, the area that I had the worst score in was in living within God-given limits. And at first I was like, stupid book. <laughs> Who is this guy I think he is? But I really felt that still small voice of God say, you know, you might want to consider this. And I began, uh, I began praying and looking back over my life, and I realized as long as I could remember... I had been living outside of the limits of my life with my time, with my energy, with, with money. I, I, I was just overextended. I would go and go and go and go and then go some more. I actually got to a point where I thought it was normal to just get burned out a few times a year. I'm not talking about, like, it's good if you work hard and you get tired. That's good. I'm a big fan of that. But I'm talking about, like, burned out. I lose vision. I get depressed. I, I just, I don't know if I want to go on. And I just thought that was normal. Hey, that's, that's just the way, you're, that's, that's the way life's supposed to be. And I, I began to prayerfully consider the results, and, and I realized that, you know, maybe there is a different way to live. Maybe I, I, I'm blind to some things. And so I, I really began to, to seek God on how I might change some things. And what it called for was a budget of a different kind. I needed to, just, to begin living life in a way that really valued the things that ultimately mattered to me. And I, and I wasn't doing that. I was using that as, as probably my initial motivation to work so hard, but, but after a while I was working so hard that I was neglecting the very things. I, I wasn't there to enjoy the things that God had for me. Now, it's easy to understand out of that silly video we saw, don't buy stuff you cannot afford. It's easy to get that when it comes to money, right? And that's a simple concept. David Ramsey has done an entire industry <laughs> on that one little thing. I mean, what Dave Ramsey does, it's not rocket science. It's, not, it's, it's basically don't buy stuff you cannot afford. And I just saved you the cost of the course. <laughs> just do that, and you'll be okay. <laughs> Uh, it's easy to understand that when it comes to money, but I don't think we take that same understanding when it comes to our time, our energy, our emotions, our relationships. But it's the same kind of principle at work. Dina used to say something to me. She said, Crispin, me and the kids, we're tired of getting the leftovers. Like, leftovers? Yeah, leftover Crispin. Like, I think leftover Crispin's all right. <laughs> like, no, because I would, I would go and go and go so much, so I finally get home, and I just, all I wanted to do was veg. I just, I had nothing to offer. I was, you ever talk to someone, and they, they're with you, but their mind's another place? Happens to me every weekend. Even right now. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
And that's what I was finding. I was finding I, I, would, I would work and work and go and go and go, and then I'd come home and I'd be, my mind would still be on that stuff. And so I wasn't able to be present with people around me. I was going in debt emotionally, relationally. To, to illustrate this, uh, about a year after Katrina, um, somebody at our church on the South Shore had uh, actually given a large sum of money to the church and said, hey, look, we want you guys to, to take out you know, we want the, the, the full-time staff people of the church to just go on a, a, a retreat to Point Clear, Alabama, to this to the nice hotel there for three days. And I'm like, hot dog, this is going to be great. But you know the sad thing was? I get there at that hotel, beautiful, you know, you got beaches, you got everything you want right there. And I was in debt relationally with my wife. <laughs> Because I've been going, well, like most of y'all, there's probably a lot of people in debt that time after Katrina. But it took us till the last day, the last few hours we were there to finally get to a place where we were, we'd kind of work through all this stuff because we were so behind on being in relationship with each other. We were in debt. So I had to cut up, come up with a, a budget of a different kind. And with any budget, if you've ever tried doing a budget with your finances, you have to start by cutting out some things that you like. I find when you go to a budget, when you have to put things in line, you have to cut, up things, cut out things you like too, right? It, it, I mean, think about our country. If, if it was just a matter of cutting out stuff we didn't like, hey, that wouldn't be too bad. But people like Medical care. They like highways that are repaired. They, you know, we like all kinds of things. But at some point, our country is going to have to say, look, we ain't got enough money for this. I probably should have said that a few years ago. <laughs> I had to start cutting some things out of my life. For me, one of the big things that had to go, I was playing music with a jazz group for about four or five times a month on Friday nights. And uh, this wire is getting stuck in here. And... Uh, I loved it. I loved playing that. But, you know, I, I really got to a point where I realized that even playing music was no fun for me anymore. That's a, that's a sad place to be in as a musician when you, you're just like, oh, it's time to go play a gig. <sighs> time to go make music. And, and that's where I was getting. So I, I just said, okay, I'm cutting all that out. I've been doing that gig for about a year and a half, and I just cut it out. I realized there were some other activities that I was involved in at the church that I just needed to cut out. There were some things in my schedule now, I understand some of you work jobs where you don't have any flexibility at all, and so you may not have much on that end. But I realized even on my job, there were things that when I approached my boss, we could tweak so I could value things that mattered a little bit more. See, the truth is you, you, you can only, you can live beyond your means for a while, but eventually it'll catch up to you, whether it's your money, whether it's your emotions, whether it's your relationships, you can, you can live overextended. You can make it for a while. And just look at America. <laughs> but eventually, it'll catch up with you. And it'll catch up with you in, in terms of affecting your physical body, your relationships. Uh, it, it will affect you. You can only go like that for so long. See, in the same way that we, it's kind of like this, I love what Steve Martin said there, where do we get this saved money? <laughs> How does one come across this? Well, one reason we save money 
is so that we'll have money when you get into a trial, right? When tragedy strikes, when, when the unexpected happens, when you lose your job, when something breaks, you'll have money to pay for it, right? We understand that as far as money goes, but I believe this, this applies even to our emotions, our energy, our time. And if we live overextended in those areas, then when a trial comes to us, you got nothing to give. You ever felt that way before? And I think that's a sad place to be, specifically if you're a Christ follower, that somebody in your life is going through something and you just, I got nothing. I can't give you anything. I ain't got nothing myself. Why? Because the way you've been living your life. See, this healthier way to live is certainly countercultural, isn't it? You know, our world's not a big fan of, of slowing down, cutting things out. Uh, we're, 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 we're like the kings in this culture of cramming as much stuff as we can into a day, and into a night, into the early hours of the morning. But this is a way of living that begins to anticipate the coming kingdom of God. It puts us in a place where now, when I, I, I got to tell you, I, I was just mentioning this to somebody yesterday, the things that I've been working on in recent years, really addressing these issues beneath the surface in my life, I got to tell you, I am enjoying life more now than I've ever enjoyed it. But that meant cutting a lot of things out. See, truth is, you're cramming everything into your life. You're not enjoying any of it, or just a little bit. There's this concept that God came up with called um, Sabbath. Taking one day a week off. That's, that's crazy talk. <laughs> but even God did that. Realize that. God creates everything, and then he takes a day off. God. We think we're better than God, though, Right? We think we're more important than God. If I don't show up and do this, if I'm not working seven days a week, then something's going to fall apart. I'm the only one who knows how to do this. You ever feel like that before? I feel like that. If I'm not here, the world's not going to go on without me. But you know, I, I'm, not a, I, I'm not saying you need to observe the Sabbath on a Saturday or a Sunday or whatever. I, I think that, that's irrelevant. I think the thing is taking a day off to just take your hands off. And what does it mean when we do that? We're just saying, God, you're in charge. The world goes on without me. No matter how much I hate that, <laughs> the world goes on without me. Other people will do the things that need to get done. And taking time off, as counterintuitive as it may seem, actually gives you the ability to enjoy the things that you do, to actually love your job, to love your work, to love the things that, that your job is providing for. And it's also a, it's an act of trust. We're just saying, God, we trust you. We're opening up our hands, our lives. We're saying, God, we trust you. Now, this stuff sounds all crazy, I know. But I just want to encourage you. In the, in the coming days, we're, we're going to be looking towards a new year. And maybe there's some, some small steps you can take to begin reorienting your life around the things that matter. Understand, this is a process. You don't get out of debt quickly, do you, right? It's, you get into debt quickly. <laughs> Getting into debt's easy. Getting out of debt's hard. I remember when Dina and I first started doing a budget, and, and it was a matter of, okay, we're paying off the lowest credit card, then we're paying off this thing. And, and boy, for the first year, it wasn't very fun at all because it seemed so much about the, the things that we were trying to give up. 
But at some point, we hit that magical window where it started getting fun. Like getting out of debt was fun. I'd get my tax return money instead of thinking of a vacation or anything. We're like, pay off student loans. And we just did it. And, and it felt liberating. Well, the same thing goes with, with our time, our energy, all those things. When we make some incremental steps in the right direction, it's not going to feel natural at first. It's going to feel like a bummer. But over time, you begin enjoying life. You begin enjoying your relationships. You begin enjoying the things that matter to you, the things that God's given to you. See, I think where God's getting with this whole thing is that we would incarnate generosity. We're, we're in the season called... We're, we're, we're talking in the Advent time about incarnation, Jesus, God becoming flesh. Well, the same way as Christ followers, God doesn't just want us to give because we, we feel like it's something, oh, I got to give to keep God happy. That doesn't keep God happy. Oh, I just got to do this. I got to jump through these hoops just to make God happy. No, God doesn't. He's not into those things. He wants us to actually embody generosity, that we don't just get it up here, we're not just going through the emotions or rituals or just superstitions, but that we give from our hearts and we get transformed into givers, that we actually incarnate, incarnate generosity and giving. So with all that said this morning, title of the message is Give More, and so I think it's time to pass that offering basket around again. I'm serious. <laughs> what we're going to do this morning is we're going to do a reverse offering. We're giving you money. So, uh, yeah, pretty cool, huh? Sign me up for this church, man. I'm coming back. <laughs> yeah, we're in these envelopes, we ask that, that you just take one of these per household in here this, today. Because uh, we only got enough money. I don't know if we got enough money to give everybody in the next service all the money. So y'all came to the right service. But uh, uh, <laughs> we want you to take one of these envelopes per household. And in it, you're going to find some cash. Now, with this money that I'm giving you, there is, um, there is a condition. You have to give it away. Okay? Now, how do you give it away? I'm not going to... I'm not going to tell you how you have to give it away or who you have to give it to. All I ask is that your heart would be open to God in the coming week. And you just say, God, where do you want me to give this? You may have a neighbor who's alone. And the meaningful way might be taking this money and buying stuff to go cook her a meal and sit down and eat it with her. It may be a random stranger that you're walking down the street and you just feel like God's saying, I want you to come up to that person and say, God told me to give this money to you and give it to them. I, I don't care how you spend it. Just don't spend it on yourself. Okay? You just got to give it. So if you're in here today and you think, man, I don't have anything to give. Hey, we're breaking that, uh, that excuse. You, you, we're, we're giving you money. All I ask, you spend it on someone else. And then if you could write down a few lines of, of what you did and drop it back in the offering next week. You can actually use that same envelope and just write down. You don't have to sign your name or anything. Just say, um, hey, I came up to so-and-so and gave the money there. That way we can know that the money actually got spent on giving. Okay? Let's do that reverse offering. Hot dog. <laughs> Ricky's getting points. 
getting points with the pastor. And as that goes around, I'm just going to, I'm going to close us with a, with a word of prayer this morning. How many households do we have represented this morning? Let's see. We got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Perfect. Great. Got Y'all, did you raise your hand? Oh, okay. I, I didn't know if I counted you or not. Okay. Yeah. We got enough. And I'm just going to close this with a word of prayer here and then go out and Give some money. And, and by the way, you, you only have a week to give this money away. It, it, it turns to dust at the end of the week, so just, just so you know that. So uh, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with a word of prayer. <laughs> Sharon, you keep Ricky in line. <laughs> You, you count as a household? Okay. Man, won't take free money. That's another message. We're going to get on that. Well, I'm going to close this with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for your generosity, for your kindness, for your love, for your forgiveness. Lord, for stepping into our world, becoming one of us to reveal the Father to us. And Lord, this morning, we just want to recommit to, to being people of your kingdom, your followers, God, that, that we could show folks what the kingdom is like, that we could live in a way that, that doesn't get caught up in the anxiety, the consumerism, and the fear of this world, God, but we could live in such a way that is countercultural, anticipating your coming kingdom. And I just pray this week for every person in here, Lord, that, that this little bit of money that, that we have, Lord, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to the people that we could give this to, that it would be a, a gift from heaven. Lord, that this would be just a little picture to, to a few people this week that you love them and that they would feel loved through it, through the simple act of generosity. We thank you for all the ways you bless us. Help us to be a blessing, Lord. Help us to be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys. Well, thank you all for coming. See you next week.